we lay it all down. We honor you, we exalt you. We lift your name on high. Be glorified. Have your way, oh God. Have your way. Lord, we invite you in, in every place where we're weak. Lord, I pray that in every place where we've experienced defeat, in every broken place, in every wounded place, that you would be honored in that place, that your name would be lifted high in that place, that you would be glorified in that place. Lord, our best is yours. Today we give you our worst. And we ask, Lord, that you speak on it and that you breathe on it. And that your light would shine on it. And out of nothing, bring everything. Come and have your way, O oh God. We ask for your glory. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These guys do a good job today. Awesome. Let's take up an offering. Lord, bless this offering. Multiply it. Use it to bring glory to your name and advance your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Thanks for giving, guys. There's a few announcements as we begin. Tuesdays. We have prayer at Ginny's house at 10 a.m. We've got a couple of weeks left to go on the Understanding Dreams and Visions class, 8 p.m. here at the church. We're going to be running the advanced workshop in dream interpretation right after that, starting November 3rd on Tuesday here at 8 o'clock. Registration is required. It's $50 per person. And sign-up sheet is on the um, coffee bar. That's still the far and away the cheapest. I think when I took the class, it was 250 bucks. And so $50 is a deal. Nadine and I will be teaching our class. I don't know if you've ever had the advanced workshop in Dream Interpretation here, have you? I think this is the first time. So if you've been waiting for that class, now's your chance. Wednesday nights is the food pantry. 6 p.m. goes to about 7.30. Um, with the weather changing and word getting out that we're here, we're getting more participation from people in the community that have need of the food pantry. Uh, Mary Beth could really use your help. I know in the past there's some people who really have a heart for this. Um, if that's you and you'd like to help out, please see Mary Beth. She could use some extra helping hands. Thursdays, we've been doing a book club on Thursday nights on the book, The Shack, William Young's The Shack. It's been just amazing. We've had some great um, group discussions on, on different aspects that are brought up in the book. I really feel like um, it's helped to stretch our understanding 
of who God is. For those of you who have been attending, we'll be doing chapters 15 and 16 this week. Read them ahead of time. Be prepared to discuss them. When we're finished with the shack, we're going to do another book club, this time on a book called Unchristian. Um, books have been ordered. They hopefully will be in soon. Uh, the books cost $10 a piece. If you'd like to attend the, um, not the Unchristian book club, but the book club on the book entitled Unchristian, um, that'll, that'll begin Thursday, November 5th. It'll also be here 8 p.m. at the church. There's another sign-up sheet on the coffee bar. Thursdays are going to run into conflict with Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve this year. Obviously, those Thursdays will take the week off for the book club. This book is going to be good. It's the perceptions that unbelievers have of us as Christians. And I think if we want to go out and reach them, and I really feel like that's our vision to take it to the streets, it, we would be um, served well, or well served to have a better understanding of how we're perceived by unbelievers. If we can understand where they're coming from better, we can um, reach out to them more effectively. The, the world doesn't like the church. They find us judgmental and hypocritical and intolerant. And for the most part, those, accurate, those judgments are pretty accurate. So it'll help us to change how we behave so that they can perceive us in a more accurate light. So that's Thursdays. Saturdays is a youth group, 7.30. My understanding, it'll be here at the bridge, and they're going to have a night of creative expression. If you have an instrument, bring it with you. Prayer Sunday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. in the prayer room. Dorothy has that up for us. Some um, upcoming special events. Uh, we have a guest speaker next Sunday. His name is Rob Mazza. Rob's a great friend of mine. Rob's led the Burning Man team the last few years. He really has a heart, uh, a father's heart, um, a heart for God. Is that the picture? Isn't that a great picture? That was Burning Man like two years ago. And this woman was so broken, so wounded, and Rob just got to love on her. Such a powerful picture. Maybe more than any other picture I've seen that kind of describes, describes who my friend Rob is. So he'll be here next Sunday. Um, I'm still in communication with Josh and Jody Young on a specific date for them to come. Josh was in Vancouver. I think Jody's up in Boston, and we've yet to nail down a specific date. She said, no, it wasn't good. He said, oh, yeah, sure, we could do that weekend. So I wrote back and said, why don't you guys talk to each other? And <laughs> when you get back home, and because I'm betting that the wife is right. Isn't that how it usually is, right? So we don't have a solid date yet, but, but Josh Young is coming, and he wants to come soon. We're going to have a potluck. I'm excited about this potluck experience. I can hardly wait. It's going to be on December 11th, um, and uh, it'll be a Friday night, 7 o'clock here. Uh, Mary Beth is going to coordinate that for us, so please give her all your help. Thank you, Mary Beth, for taking point on that. And just a few things, just to give you a heads up, a few things I'm working on for the, for the months ahead. <clears throat> I'd like to have a dream-intensive weekend with, a, with the other Burning Man leader named uh, Lisa Maschek, incredible dream interpreter. For those of you who have gone through all of these streams classes, this weekend dream intensive will help just kick you up to another notch. So I've emailed Lisa, looking for some dates on that. S sent some emails to Jim Driscoll about coming and doing the SEER course, maybe sometime in the spring. There's lots of people in this church who see in the spirit. Jim carries an anointing for people with SEER gifting and I think a combination of instruction and impartation from Jim, again, is going to take all of us just to another level. And uh, he's a fun guy to have around. 
um, sent emails up to the interns in New Hampshire. And uh, I thought it would be great to have them come down. And I don't care what we do with them. If they're just here, it'll be fun. And we'll do something fun with the interns, and that'll be a blessing. And um, how many of you guys know who Paul Keith Davis is? Yeah, a few of you guys. Paul Keith Davis is a pretty uh, well-known prophetic uh, minister. He's been around a long time, and he's a friend. Um, we had him out a bunch of times in Washington. I had a dream about two weeks ago. I woke up in the morning. And in my dream, I'm inviting Paul Keith to come and speak at the church. And so... I got up and I was like, you know what? I'm not a real smart guy, but I think I'm supposed to invite Paul Keith to come to the church. So I sent him an email and he got back to me. So we're looking at maybe the second half of 2010, maybe have a prophetic conference that we would host with uh, Paul Keith Davis. So there's a few things in the works. You can keep some of those things uh, in prayer. Question? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Paul Keith would be open to anybody. The SEA course, the Dream Intensive, I think if they've taken... The advanced workshop, people are qualified uh, to attend that class. I think that's how it still works. Josh Young comes, that's open to anybody. Rob Mazza will be here next week, that's open to everybody. The only thing that's restrictive is when we do the streams courses, the advanced workshop that we do in-house for the price of only $50, that's a discount, that's a Benny that we have for being a bridge church. You know, we can offer the classes in-house at, you know, such, you know, a drastically reduced price. So um, those are the only times where it's something's exclusive. Any other questions or did I miss any announcements? We have enough stuff going on? We got enough stuff going on, right? Good stuff. It feels like God's on them. All right, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 7. Been doing this series of messages on God's ways. Inspired... Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, how God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's been a continual life lesson for me. And so I thought it would be fun to do a series of looking at different Bible characters, main figures throughout the Scripture, and see just what God's ways were working in their lives, and just how much. His ways are not our ways. So we looked at the life of Moses and looked at a few different aspects of his life, but we focused specifically on the account at the Red Sea and um, realized that you know it was Moses' radical obedience that got him into that predicament where he has the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army you know, chasing him down on the other. His obedience to God's ways got him in that mess, and then God did a God-sized thing and got him out of it. His ways may offend, God's ways may offend our sense of logic and reason and fairness. And if we want to follow him, it'd be good for us to realize that. You know, I want to be in God's box. I don't want God in my box. I want to play by his rules. I don't want to force him to play by my rules. I want to operate according to his wisdom, his logic, his understanding. His reasoning. I don't want to squeeze him into the limits of my logic, my reason, my understanding. I've done that for too long. And it's not, it don't work for me. Does it work for you? Come on, it doesn't work, right? So we looked at Gideon. We looked at a few different aspects of Gideon's life, his call, his encounter he has with God. And we looked specifically at Gideon's army. He raises an army of 32,000 men, and God says, I don't think so. 
takes it down to 300 men, and with 300 men, they wipe out the enemy. Oh, yeah, by the way, they didn't have any weapons. They had trumpets and torches, okay? His ways are not our ways. We looked at the life of Abraham and how God may call you to leave your home. He may give you a promise and only fulfill the promise after you, after you are way beyond your strength to bring it to pass. And then even after God fulfills it, he may ask you to give it up or give it away or lay it down. Another thing we learned from the life of Abraham is that not a good thing to mix God's ways and your ways together. Okay? Not a good thing. Creates a big mess. And last week we looked at the life of David. Some of David's backstory, King Saul was rejected for doing what I just said. He mixed God's ways and his ways. He got very specific clear direction from maybe one of the most accurate prophetic voices who ever walked the earth, Samuel. He got a message from God from Samuel. And then he mixed his ways with God's ways. God said destroy everything and he thought, well, you know what? Some of them sheep and cattle looking pretty good. We'll keep it. And oh yeah, yeah. You know what we'll do? We'll use it for sacrifices. You know, we can rationalize and justify anything if we put a nice religious spin on it, right? Lord, I know that this is stealing, but I'll put it in the offering. That's pretty much what Saul was was doing. I I know it's stealing, Lord, but I'll tithe on the money. The mixture cost Saul the anointing and his throne. And even though he lost the anointing, he still had that position for another 15 years. I told you last week that God may give you anointing, Without position to test your character and your integrity, but you never want to have a position without the anointing of God and without the favor of God. You will be miserable. You'll be miserable. Anybody ever gone and taken a job that you knew God told you not to take? Am I the only one who's done that? I remember getting off with a job in the South Bronx. I was a janitor in a junior high school. I was up to here with cleaning toilets. I just did not want to clean another toilet, in a junior high school especially. And here I have a job. I could be a mechanic. When you're a janitor, being a mechanic sounds like, ooh, this is good. I wouldn't be embarrassed putting that on a job application. I'm a mechanic. And so Nadine and I pray about it, and Nadine's like, honey, this is not a good idea. I don't think you should take this job. And then everything in my flesh is saying, I want that job. I want that job. I really want that job. I went there, and it was hell. It was a year and a half hell. I was like, oh, my goodness. I should have listened to my wife. (laughs) You don't want a position that you're not anointed for or the favor of God is not on it. Trust me, it's not worth it. God calls David. God chose David. Jesse, David's father, had his sons pass before Samuel the prophet. All except David. When Samuel looked for a future leader of God's people, he was impressed with Jesse's sons, the ones who are handsome and strong and charismatic, you know, the guys who are perfect for the job. But the Lord rejected them in favor of someone who was too young, and too inexperienced to even be invited to the meeting. That's who God chose. Man looks on the outside. Man looks at how handsome someone is, or how tall someone is, or how strong someone is, how gifted they are, how charismatic they are, how capable they are. God doesn't look at those things. God looks at the heart. 
And he was looking at the heart of David. His ways are not our ways. Then we looked at the battle between David and Goliath. Each, with each Bible character, I've looked at, you know, we kind of looked at an overview of their lives, but focused on one specific event. And last week it was David's battle with Goliath. And David rejected Saul's armor, right? It's amazing. Here they got this 15-year-old boy, and they're going to let him go fight for the nation, right? The terms of the battle is whoever wins, the, other, the loser serves the winner. They're going to let David fight. And so Saul, still in his mixture mindset, decides, I'll tell you what, we'll put my armor on David. And David would have none of it. It wouldn't fit him. He couldn't move around in it. You, you can't put David in, armor, in, in Saul's armor. You can't put a David in a Saul's armor any more than you could put new wine in an old wineskin. It's a perfect picture of it. You can't do it. And David would have none of it. One of my favorite parts of the whole encounter there is that David ran to the battle. When faced with this giant, there was no fear in David whatsoever. It said Goliath came after him and David ran to him on the battlefield. I want to have that kind of heart. When faced with my giants, faced with overwhelming odds, faced with someone who is, who is not only huge, but incredibly experienced and well-equipped for war, and all I got is my little stinking slingshot, I want to run to the battlefield. Because God's on my side. I want to be like David. David ran to the battlefield and defeated a well-equipped, experienced warrior with a slingshot and passionate confidence in his God. I want to be like David. God's ways is not our ways. He may send a boy to do a man's job, but never underestimate the impact of the anointing. An anointed boy is more than enough to defeat a well-equipped, gigantic soldier. More than enough. God's ways will offend our logic, our reason, our understanding. We would never send. There's not a one of us here that would send an unarmed 15-year-old boy into those circumstances. Not one of us. Not, Not my son at 15. Would you send your son at 15? We wouldn't even consider it. But God did. That's exactly what he did. And it was the right thing to do. His ways are not our ways. So I'm thinking this is the last one in the series. Though I was thinking that yesterday when I was putting it together. But I was waking up this morning thinking, hmm, there's some stuff in Paul's life I could probably pick. But I want to look at Jesus today. Maybe the ultimate example of God's ways not being our ways. So if you open to Luke chapter 7, follow along as I begin reading in verse 19. I'm using the New King James Version today. John the Baptist, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the, one, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he, Jesus, had cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind people, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell, tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he 
who is not offended because of me. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today the truth that's in your word. Help us to see things that we've never seen before. Illuminate your word to us. Give us understanding. Amen? Amen. Keep your finger in Luke 7. I'm going to come back to it. Now look, I am convinced. Life experience as a Christian has proven to me repeatedly that God's ways are not our ways. And this I know. If we want the God of Abraham, Moses, Gideon, and David to work in our lives, then we're going to need to lay down our preconceived notions of how things ought to operate and begin to expect the unexpected. That if we want Abraham's God and David's God and Gideon's God and Moses' God operating in our lives like he operated in their lives, then we've got to lay down our preconceptions of, hey, this is how it ought to be, or that's how it ought to be. Because I looked through the accounts that we just went through briefly. None of these guys saw that. On, it was, wasn't on their radar anywhere. And just from what I read in Luke chapter 7, it wasn't on John the Baptist's radar either. His ways are not our ways. Jesus is out of the box. He is completely out of the box. So very much of Jesus' life is unexpected and unconventional. I mean, think about it. The incarnation, right? The fact that God would become man and dwell among us. It's beyond our comprehension how profoundly great the sacrifice was that Jesus would limit himself to human form. I mean, this doesn't even come close. But would you consider if it was in your power to do so, to become a cockroach to save a colony of cockroaches. I'm going to take on the form of a roach because I have extraordinary love for this whole group of roaches and I want to save them from themselves. We're still not even close in comparison to what Jesus did, but it at least gives you some measure of understanding of how out of the box the incarnation was. So, I mean, you laugh, right? Of course I would never do that. That'd be ridiculous. I want to crush them. How can I crush them? Um, I, am, I am reeling in all the crazy thoughts in my brain because some of them are way too inappropriate for a sermon about cockroaches. Just say no, Tom. Just say no. The virgin birth, <laughs> moving right along. How out of the box. Seemingly illegitimate birth to everyone in Mary's community. Nobody thought, oh, yeah, yeah, the angel came, you know. The Spirit of God overshadowed you. Right. right? There's this cloud, this question over her. It didn't have to be that way. Why did God choose Mary? How come, it wasn't, how come he was born in a manger instead of the embassy suites or LIJ Medical Center? Why wasn't it the finest facilities, the very best that the, the world could offer? Why wasn't he born in a palace to the, to the queen? Because his ways are not our ways. 
Okay, how about the disciples he chose? I want to change the world, okay? I'm the president of the United States, and I want to call together a council of advisors because I'm going to change things. I want hope and change. Reeling in again, reeling in, reeling in. And who am I going to call together? I'm going to call together the best economic advisors I can. I'm going to call together the best military advisors I can, I can find. I want to get the, the best and the brightest in industry, maybe in the fields of religion, science. What did Jesus do? Did he do any of that? No. He wanted to change the world. So instead of getting the smartest and most successful and the most creative forward thinkers on the planet, instead of getting the most influential people, the most powerful people, and the wealthiest people together in one room, he picks a ragtag team of fishermen, tax collectors, and there was a thief in the mix. Okay, And these are the guys he's going to use to change the world. His ways are not our ways. Some of the disciples that Jesus chose, we wouldn't hire on staff at the church. <laughs> okay? And now they're seated around the throne. His ways are not our ways. He gathers a handful of friends. That's what he does. He gets a handful of friends. He pours his life into them. And then he does change the world. He does use them. And he changes the world. But it's not the way we would have done things. It's not close to how we would have done things. Sometimes I read the scriptures and I'm thinking, Jesus could have benefited from that course, you know, how to win friends and influence people. His interactions with the religious leaders of his day... <laughs> Versus his interaction with the tax collectors, prostitutes, and, oh, that woman caught in the very act of adultery? How he dealt with these two different groups of people is just astonishing. So stark in the contrast. To the scribes and Pharisees, he refers to them as whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. I don't care how you spin that. <laughs> He's not making friends with that statement. He's not making happy, happy people. He would not be back to, invited back to the ministerial association if he refers to everybody else in the room as whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. And oh yeah, later on he says, you snakes and you brood of vipers. Read Matthew 23 for yourself. But in contrast, he ate at the tax collector's house where there were other tax collectors and scripture says sinners. With them, he sat down and he shared a table and he ate food and they shared life. His ways are not our ways. I love the account in John chapter 6 where it says Jesus fed the 5,000 and it says 5,000 men and you understand that there were women there and children there. So there was conservatively 15 to 20,000 people gathered. And Jesus miraculously feeds them. These people are following him now, right? They're getting free food. And it's probably good stuff. And they're following him. Thousands and thousands of people. 
So he begins to share, you know, he begins to preach. John 6, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat my flesh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Understand the context here. He's been feeding these people. All right? He's been, these are thousands of people he's been feeding. This is the message he gives them. Verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So many left that he then turns to the twelve and he says to them, You guys want to leave now too? And if they wanted to, he would have left them. Every pastor I know would have had a heart attack at this point. Never would have preached that message. Never would have let them go. He's got 20,000 people in his church. He just offends all of them and they all leave and he lets them go. His ways <laughs> are not our ways. And then he turns to his board of elders and says, hey, you want to go too? Go ahead, there's the door. I'll start all over again. <laughs> his ways are not our ways. I haven't even gotten to the cross. <laughs> Who of us would have chosen the cross? Wait a minute, Papa, there's got to be another way. Let's, let's, let's have a meeting. Holy Spirit, would you come? <laughs> we discussed this a little bit. You want me to take human form? That's radical enough. Now you got to die on the cross? And they're going to beat the crud out of me beforehand? Could you imagine going through that beating and the crucifixion while the whole time you had it within your power to call down legions of angels and just make it stop? And he didn't? Sometimes I think that might be the greatest expression of his incredible love for us. It wasn't even that he just laid down his life. It's not like my son needs a heart transplant, so I'll give him my heart, and they'll, you know, they'll put me to sleep, and I'll, you know, I'll go off, and they'll take my heart, and now my son could live. In anybody's book, that would be an incredible sacrifice, right? No, it would be like somebody saying, look, your son needs your heart to live, so they're going to rip my chest open, grab it out, and boom, give it to him. And even that doesn't come close. But the cross was his way. He shed every drop of his blood on our behalf. And then look who he passes the baton to. Even after the resurrection, he's going to go and ascend to the Father. He's got to pass the baton to someone. Carry on the work that I gave you to do. Go and make disciples of every nation. And who does he give it to? To the very guys who abandoned him in his greatest hour of need. We had to fire them. I'm going to trust you now with everything? I just gave my whole life for this. I shed every drop of my blood for this. And you weren't there in that hour. I would have rejection issues. I would have trust issues at this point. Oh, yeah, you're the one who publicly denied me. I never knew the man. So you're the one I'm going to entrust. I'm going to pass the baton to you, Peter. You get to carry the ball. 
the one who ran away like a little girl when the going got tough. You know, people just like you and me. <laughs> That's who he trusts the kingdom to. His ways are not our ways. I mean, his ways are radically not our ways. Jesus is out of the box. He's completely out of the box. But like I've done in other you know, parts of this series, let's look at one account, just one interaction. There are dozens I could have chosen. But I think this one kind of speaks to our purpose. And it's, it's um, the issue here of John the Baptist. So some of the backstory: John the Baptist and Jesus are second cousins. Their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, are cousins. Remember when the angel comes to Mary, he said, this will be a sign to you that this is you know, really from God, and that your cousin, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. Well, she was pregnant with John the Baptist. I think it's fair to say that Jesus and John the Baptist, at some point in their growing up lives together, spent time together. They probably had Christmas together, you know, maybe Thanksgiving. (laughs) Or some kind of family functions. They knew each other. As they get older, John becomes this prophetic forerunner for Jesus. The voice crying in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is the one who said in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's John the Baptist who said that. It's John who baptizes Jesus publicly, and he announces that Jesus is the one. In John chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, the next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said he comes after me. He who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. John the Baptist points out publicly to everybody, Hey, this is the guy. He's the one. This is the Messiah. Make no mistake. And even some of John's disciples now leave John and go and follow Jesus. Because he told them to. Well, not long after this, John the Baptist is in prison for preaching against Herod the Tetrarch, the governmental ruler of Galilee. Which brings me to my main text this morning from Luke chapter 7. You see, Jesus is not meeting... John the Baptist's expectations. He's not meeting his expectations. John's in prison. And look, it's not like prisons we have here. This is a nasty place. This is a horrific place. This is a dungeon. Think about the worst picture you've ever seen of prisons. Multiply it a couple of dozen times. This is probably what John the Baptist is in. And Jesus, up until this point has not gotten John out of prison. Hey, but wait, wait, wait. What about Luke 18? You know, where Jesus gets up, does his first public sermon, takes out the scroll from Isaiah 61 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, (laughs) right? And recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
If I'm John and I'm in prison and we're cousins, I'm ready for some of this freedom of the prisoners part. Right? He's still in prison. And look, (laughs) back in that day, if you're in prison, you know what's going to happen? They're going to cut your head off, right? You're going to die. There's very little chance you're getting out of this deal alive. They're cousins, they're family, they grew up together. To some degree, they even ministered together. But now John is questioning. What happened? John's circumstances changed. That's what happened. When he was out by the river baptizing people, right, eating locusts and wearing camel hair, and pointing out, hey, he's the one, he liked those circumstances. But now circumstances change. He's in prison. I like what happens to many of us when our circumstances change, questions begin to rise in our heart. Here we are, John's incarcerated. Jesus hasn't even made a prison visit. So now John's question, is Jesus really the one? And what's Jesus' response to him? John the Baptist has sent us to you. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Boy, that's so telling. That's such an insight into John's heart. His circumstances are bad. And he's thinking, you know, the, the image, the memory is fading in his mind of when he baptized Jesus. And the dove came and landed on him. And he heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's fading because his circum- it's hard to see that from inside the prison cell, from inside of those circumstances. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And at that very hour, Scripture tells us that Jesus had cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered. This is Jesus' answer to to the messengers that John the Baptist sent. Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And oh yeah, this last sentence, verse 23. By the way, blessed is he who is not offended. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended when my ways are not your ways. Blessed is he who is not offended when I don't meet your expectations. Blessed is he who is not offended when my thoughts are higher than your thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. Blessed is that man. Notice what Jesus didn't do. I find it interesting to note. He didn't apologize or justify or excuse his behavior. He didn't say, oh, cuz, I'm sorry. You know, the ministry is so demanding. The disciples, they got all these issues. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I haven't visited. I'll have Dad pull a few strings and we'll have you out by the morning. <laughs> he didn't say any of that. Instead, he tells them, blessed are you 
who in your circumstances, while you're in a dungeon, being waiting, waiting for the executioner to, to show up, blessed are you if you're not offended at my behavior. The word offend there in the Greek, see if I can say this right, skandalazo, skandalazio, skandalazio. What does that sound like? Yeah. Blessed are those who are not scandalized because of me. Blessed are those who are not scandalized because of my behavior, because of the, the way I choose to operate. Blessed are those who are not offended at the scandal I'll create when my ways are not your ways. It means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way upon which another may trip or fall to be offended. The Amplified says it this way. Blessed is he who takes no offense at me, who is not hurt or resentful or annoyed or repelled, or made to stumble, whatever may occur. I'm trying to make sure I hit every category, so you have no wiggle room, right? (laughs) Blessed is he who takes no offense in me, who is not hurt by me, who is not resentful toward me, who is not annoyed by me, who is not repelled by me, or made to stumble by me whatever may occur. People, his ways are not our ways. His ways may very well offend you. They've offended me. What can we learn from this? God's ways will offend our sense of logic, our sense of reason, our sense of understanding, our sense of appropriateness, our sense of decorum, our sense of respect. Just please know this. (laughs) Just because Jesus is Lord of your life doesn't mean that you're immune from being offended by him. Okay? Just because he's Lord does not mean that you're immune from his ways offending your mind. If it could happen to John the Baptist, it could happen to me. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. His ways really aren't our ways. If Jesus goes outside the box, and I say let's go there with him, And as we follow him, as much as it's in our power, let's be unoffendable. Especially when it comes to the ways that Jesus chooses to work in our lives. Whew. So, I don't really know what's coming. But I'm figuring he's had me preach this series of messages for some reason. And it could be that God's going to do something with our church 
that some of us would find offensive because we like our ways better than we like his ways, at least initially. Eventually, we kind of come around and we get used to his ways. We realize how much better they are than our ways, but not always in the beginning. Not always in the beginning. And like I've said before, it's, for me, it's, it's that place where my, my pastoral and prophetic giftings kind of intersect a little bit. And I want to cry out, saying, prepare yourselves. <laughs> I kind of feel like God's doing this. I love you so much, I don't really want you to be upset. So I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know what. I don't know what yet. But I'd really like to be in a place personally... And I'd love for us to be in a place corporately. Well, what does it matter? That Jesus, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, we'll do that. We'll follow you. We'll go the way you want to go. We'll lay down our expectations of how it ought to be. We'll lay down our preconceived notions. We'll trust you. We'll risk. We'll take a leap of faith. So, be just how we want to do this, Lord. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I just want you to be real and honest. I've been in church situations for so long that I could make everybody stand up or close your eyes or turn around or whatever. Everybody, pirouette. I just want you to respond to God. This is what I want. I want you to respond to him. Be honest with him. He knows your heart anyway. So be honest with yourself as you're honest with him right now. Let's pray. Lord, your ways are not my ways. Your ways are higher than my ways. Jesus, I think it would have been cool to follow you, to be one of those people in the crowd when you were here on earth. But I wonder, after today, looking at your word, if I'd have just walked away, if I'd have been part of those people who have been offended because I didn't understand what it meant to eat your flesh and drink your blood, and I'd have just left too. I'm thinking I might have. I think it would have grossed me out. So Lord, help me now. Help me today. Lord, as the members of the, the bridge here on Long Island, we give you this church. We give you, Lord, this community that we are. And corporately, as one body, we choose today. We choose to reject our way and to embrace your way. We want your way, oh God. God, come and have your way with us. We ask you to do God-sized things in our midst. Lord, I don't know how to get from here to there intellectually or emotionally. I'm not sure how to bridge that gap. But you know. Get us from here to there. If it's faith we need, give us faith. If our minds need to be changed, change our minds. If our hearts need to be broken, then break our hearts. Lord, if we need encouragement, encourage us. If we're hopeless, give us hope. You alone know. You know what all the pieces of the puzzle are. 
Lord, I pray you take the scales from our eyes. Take the deafness from our ears. Take the hardness from our hearts. And take us where we've never gone before. Lord, I ask that we would see the reality of your higher ways and your higher thoughts in our lives, in our families, and in this church. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. George, would you put some kind of appropriate music on? And um, if there's anybody who needs ministry today, if you need someone to pray for you because of something I preached, or maybe you have some other need, um, something's going on in life and you need some friends to pray for you, or maybe you're not feeling well and you'd like somebody to pray for you, you guys just come on down and say, I want to give an opportunity uh, for ministry, and, uh, and we'll pray for you. If anybody needs that. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I think Lord's saying he wants to use some of the back row people today. So, Joanne, would you help me pray for people? And Kyle, would you help me pray for people? Jen, would you help me pray for people today? And, yeah, in the back in the corner, John, would you help me pray for people today? I don't always know who, the, who God wants to use on ministry. I just kind of go with it. You know what I'm saying? So if you need prayer, some of these guys will pray for you. Holy Spirit, come. Some folks down there over here, they got to need some prayer. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Lord, bless your people. Have your way with us, oh God. Meet the needs in your church. Lord, I pray that you would meet our financial needs, that you would meet our relational needs, our emotional needs. Lord, where there's battles we're fighting, give us victory. Thank you, Lord. Come and have your way, oh God. Lord, let the giants win today. Amen.